Hello, Bearded Wisdom listeners. Sean Reeves here with Heath Morber. Heath, I've got two new items in my office this semester. Actually, just as of maybe a week ago. Okay. One of my favorite restaurants, Baron Stube, in Gibson City closed. Yeah. And so they had they auctioned off all their stuff. Can I just say in passing, um, I every once in a while I would mention that to Shan. Remember that time we went to Byron Stoiber or whatever? And she'd be like, no, that was with a different girlfriend. <laughs> and then I kind of sulk away and then make the same mistake six months later. <laughs> Continue. I apologize for that. Continue. Uh, one of my first dates with Tracy was there too, but... Ah. It was only with Tracy. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I did not take any other girlfriends there. But they auctioned everything off. So I actually, um, I, I won a beer mug and a beer stein uh, on that auction. So they are now in my office. Okay. Um, one of them, the mug has a picture of a fryer uh, tanking up his mug off of a, 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 a cask of beer. Beautiful. So yeah, it's awesome. Sean, you have mostly English in your blood, I think. But do you have any German? I actually, on my mom's side, have almost all German and Czech. Okay. Right. I've got English and Irish on my dad's side. But my mom's side, um, uh, part of the family was from Bavaria. Part mm-hmm. of the family was from Bohemia, which okay. is current-day Czech Republic. I just feel like that beer stein's being wasted up on your shelf, man. Let's break that, bu- <laughs> let's break that puppy out next week, huh? Well, I might get another beer stein for drinking. This okay. one is just... For, me- for memories. Fair. But I bring that up because, so last week you asked me about vacations. Mm-hmm. And so this whole thing happened. And as I'm putting them up there, I was thinking, you know what? Um, I wonder, I wonder on vacation, if there are any memorable, particularly memorable restaurants that, that Heath has been to. Memorable restaurants that I've been to. Like unique. Yes. Either in the food or the, the decor, the surroundings. Yeah. Well, I will say that the one I'll never forget is Shannon and I went to Rome in, what was that, October 2018. Mm-hmm. And so um, I, I really do like planning trips and I, I'm willing to go the extra mile to, you know, make sure we're not eating at a McDonald's somewhere, right? You know, <laughs> so uh, this real well-known uh, travel guy named uh, Rick, Rick Steves, Rick Steves. Okay. Does these travel travel everything you know but he talked about this restaurant it's like tucked away in this basement somewhere in 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 rome oh i'm I'm gonna blank on the name i'll find it sometime tucked away in a basement (laughs) in rome was the mafia there (laughs) it was very dark let me think about this uh i i I, I, not in the basement we did go down some stairs okay okay it was nice okay but it was absurdly expensive even though we got like a, a discount, a Rick Steves discount. Sure, yeah. But they brought like seven courses in dessert. Really? It was it was actually it was actually too much food. Like course wow. number four, even though I hadn't eaten all day in preparation, I was like, I feel like we're gonna have to bag this up, you know? <laughs> Which is a hard thing to do when you're like traveling in a foreign sure, country, you yeah. know. That's really neat. I mean I, I brought this up because anyone who's been to that restaurant in Gibson City, it's it's stylized like a little uh, Bavarian house. Right. Yeah. You've got you've got all of this uh, great German decor. Some people might not be into this. There's lots of taxidermy in there too. My <laughs> wife specifically told me I was not allowed to bid on <laughs> taxidermy oh, for the auction. Uh, I didn't want to anyway. Um, and, <laughs> and and just you know just kind of the, the the richness of like German culture. It was it's just it was a really really unique place, and I was really sad to see it go. I don't know if you have ever been to um, 
Wisconsin Dells. I've not. But there's a restaurant up there that we've been there a couple times. My kids love because it's called Buffalo Phil's. So a little hokey. Okay. But um, the unique thing about it is they have a miniature train that goes through the whole restaurant and delivers your drinks. So there are train tracks through the whole restaurant. And so there are, I think there there are maybe two different stations where they, you know, will load these things up. Yeah. And they'll just send it down the, the train track around the whole restaurant and it, and it stops at your table and you take your drinks off. And if you get appetizers, then, you know, you know, it might have fries on it or something like that. And you take that off and then it drives back to the, <laughs> so anyway, yeah. So, so really, really unique things. I, I love, I love finding new places that have unique stuff like that. I love that. That's wonderful. I don't have any more to add, Sean, but I will say when you bring up taxidermy, so where I'm from, uh-huh. a lot of hunters. Okay. Yeah. And that is absolutely true in my own house. So I remember bringing over like new friends or, you know, a new girlfriend maybe to my home and they were never quite ready for what they saw when they walk (laughs) in. My dad has like five deer heads up, you know, in our main living area, much to my mother's chagrin. I I don't know how she would always be talked into a new one. I I think my dad would just put them up when she was at work or something. But (laughs) do you remember we had a taxidermy bear in the rectory at one point? You know, I never saw that. I never saw that. It was Father Ken, right? Yeah, Father uh, Hummel. Yes, yeah, thank yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I always heard about it, but I, I never ventured over. Maybe I was too frightened. It went from floor to ceiling. It was tall. It was a real, a actual real bear yeah. that he had killed. He had killed it, yeah. Jeez. He was a bow hunter. Man. So, yeah. Can you imagine staring down a bear with, with just a bow and arrow? Oh, goodness gracious. No, I, I cannot imagine that. <laughs> I would not be doing that. Wow. So, Heath, what is our topic for today? All right, Sean. All right. So, it's good to, for my listeners to know that I love lists. Okay. <laughs> I find um, I find I find our Catholic faith intimidating at times, and I love that you have a brain where you know more, you know, uh, deep and nebulous thinking is fine to suit you well. I'm often like, okay, break it down for me. Like, let me put an outline together or let me, can you list off five things that I should take away from what, what you were just talking about, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm all, I, I love, you know, um, fruits of the Holy Spirit. Great, there's a list. I can memorize <laughs> those. I can apply those, whatever, you know. Uh, I love Micah 6.8, which is the, what are the three? Act justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with God, right? Boom, 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 yeah. you know. Um, anyway, not that I discovered a new list recently, but last summer... Many of my evangelical Catholic students and I read a book called Into His Likeness by Dr. Edward Shree. Okay. Right? SRI, for those out listening there and don't know Dr. Shree stuff. He's great. Um, but part of his book, he broke down one particular verse in Acts. Acts 2, 42, um, which kind of, almost in passing, lists off four characteristics of what the early Christians were doing. And he said, these are kind of the, you know, the, the four key habits uh, of a disciple. And I was like, oh, wow. So he sort of elucidated each of those in successive chapters. And I was like, oh, great. There's another list that I can really, you know, <laughs> I can get going. Um, but there was just even more to that, you know. Um, and I was like, oh, this would be, I think, a good topic for a podcast. So let me just start with with the actual verse. This is Acts chapter 2, verse 42. And I'm talking about the early Christians who were just recently baptized. Okay. This is the earliest of early church. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Okay. 
So from that little verse, um, a lot of ink has been spilled, I'd say. Um, so Sean, I'm, I know that you love the early church, and I'm certainly fascinated always by uh, the Christian movement, you know, how it kind of shot out of the gate like a runner, <laughs> right? You know, mm. uh, as soon as Jesus ascended, as soon as, you know, the Holy Spirit came, it just got crazy pretty quick, I'd say. So um, Sean, can you just give us a little recap maybe, and, and maybe some context of what's happening in those first couple chapters of the book of Acts? Sure. So by the time we get to verse 42 of chapter two, a lot, a lot has happened. So Luke, St. Luke, who wrote the gospel of Luke, also wrote Acts of the Apostles. Mm-hmm. And at the tail end, at the very conclusion of his gospel, he has this, this, this short discourse between Jesus and his apostles in which he, he tells them to, uh, that he's sending the promise of the Father. And, and to remain in the city until they're clothed with power from on high, and then he ascends into heaven. Well, that's kind of recapped in chapter one, right? Mm-hmm. It talks about Jesus appearing to them for 40 days, and he uses that same language again, that I'm sending, wait for the promise of the Father, right? Um, and so they're, they're waiting, uh, and while they're waiting, it occurs to them, hey, Jesus appointed 12 of us, one's missing. So they took it upon themselves to replace Judas, um, and appoint Matthias. So we have, so far we've got Jesus staying with them, sending, say, promising that he's going to send the promise of the Father, mm-hmm. right? Telling them to stay in the city. He also will tells them that, um, you know, they're going to be his witnesses from Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth, which incidentally becomes kind of the, the map for how the narrative of Acts of the Apostles plays out. They begin in Jerusalem, they move out to Judea, Samaria, and then the far stretches of the Roman Empire, right? And then take it upon themselves to complete the 12. And then that event that Jesus said would happen takes place at the beginning of chapter 2. So we call this Pentecost. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's the word in the Greek translation that we use, Pentecost, from the word 50, because it was about 50 days after Easter. Well, it's actually a Jewish holiday that they were celebrating. Um, it's called the Feast of Weeks. So in, in, in the Hebrew, it's uh, Shavuot. And Shavuot um, also was 50 days, always 50 days after uh, Passover, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and so it, it, was, it was in the Jewish faith, it was a feast in which they were celebrating principally the giving of the Ten Commandments and Mosaic Law, but also it was an occasion where the, uh, harvest or of the first fruits happened around that time. Mm. The first grain offerings were given to God. So it was sometimes called the Feast of First Fruits as well. So you can see the parallel here of this is the event in which the Holy Spirit descends upon the church in a celebration of giving the, the, the law of Moses from God to the people, mm-hmm. the people giving their first fruits, back, first fruits back to God. You have the descent of the Holy Spirit and the fruits i'm making my little quotation marks here <laughs> the fruits of the spirit's influence yeah. in in the church begins and then as you said earlier right before verse 42 there's the mention of these mass baptisms that take yeah. place so yeah. it's important to know that when we get to verse 42 it's specifically talking about these are the things that the newly baptized participated in yeah, yeah. and that's really a time we're in now sean just just after easter we have these newly baptized members and um, this crazy influx of grace, you know, and then I'm sure for some of them, like, that was awesome. What's next? <laughs> right, right. Right. Yeah. You know, there's more. Right. Mm-hmm. And so you can imagine I'm always just enthralled with what it must have been like to hear Peter preach there in Acts 2. You know what I mean? Because, I mean, I feel like he, he preaches about, you know, the spirit 
you know, has come upon us and this Jesus who you crucified has been raised and this and that. And then like thousands are baptized. I, I think it's here in, into, in other places. They're like, and 3,000 were added that day. I'm like, oh my gosh, what a preacher he must have been. Right? <laughs> uh, but yeah, we have this situation. Then it's like, okay, well, you got this brand new church. I've just been added. What do I do? You know what I mean? I understand there's a little bit about this Jesus guy I got to learn, but you know, what's next? So so we can see in that verse uh, that we're talking about, Acts 2.42, uh, we can see four kind of aspects. And we'll, you know, we'll break those down a little bit further. One would be, um, we talk about they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, okay? Um, and when we talk about the apostles' teaching, we mean the apostles. They were hanging out, right? You know, you got all these baptisms, and then, okay, well, you go you go chat with Andrew, and we'll have a class with Thomas, maybe, or however that goes. Um, second part is is the fellowship, and that uses a word, uh, koinonia, that's very familiar uh, around these parts. We'll talk about that further shortly. Uh, to the breaking of the bread. And the f- last part is, and they devoted themselves to the prayers, right? So, Sean, one thing I was intrigued to hear, too, about this, um, about this verse is that it seems that it may have had an influence on how our catechism is structured. And so even right uh, very early in the catechism, I found this verse here. This is catechism um, number three. Usually we're in the hundreds, like, well, 706, and, you know, no, this is number three. Those who with God's help have welcomed Christ's call and freely responded to it are urged on by love of Christ to proclaim the good news everywhere in the world. This treasure, received from the apostles, has been faithfully guarded by their successors. All Christ's faithful are called to hand it on from generation to generation by professing the faith, by living it in fraternal sharing, and by celebrating it in liturgy and prayer. And of course, the footnote indeed is Acts 2.42. Can you tell us a little bit about how, how those tenets may have influenced the catechism that we still have on our on our bookshelf. So there have been lots of catechisms in church history. Yeah. You know, when we talk about the catechism, we mean a, a universal catechism, mm-hmm. but there have been regional catechisms and local catechisms as, as well. I mean, technically, the first century document that we just call the Didache, which is the same word that's used in verse 42, mm. the teaching of the, the teaching. apostles, yeah, it's sure. Didache. Didache just simply means teaching. Mm-hmm. Um it was technically the first catechism it was just a kind of a summary of the basic beliefs and actually the, the early liturgical structure of, of celebration that you, later on, you have people like Augustine who, who, who wrote maybe two different types of approaches to the catechism. One is called the Enchiridion, which it uses the jumping point of the theological virtues of faith, hope, and love to teach the faith. Hmm. Um, and then he just has one called on Christian doctrine, which is a little bit more philosophical, um, it, it, it tries to order mostly off of the creed, but it has a lot of other elements. But you don't really see in the early catechisms the structure of the catechism we have today. That really kind of begins in the 16th century. So you have people like um, St. Robert Bellarmine, uh-huh. who wrote a catechism. Um, there are a few others who wrote a catechism in that time. And that begins the formalization of using, as you said, these four elements for the basic structure. So our current catechism has part one, uh, focus around the creed, right? The elements of the creed. Yeah. Part two, focus around the liturgy and the sacraments. Part three, focus around the moral life of the church. And part four, around the prayer life of the church modeled off of the Lord's Prayer. So that's the structure that really kind of begins in the first in regional catechisms in the 16th century. And then eventually, you know, universal catechisms take that, that format up too. But you do see a parallel of verse 42, right? So the teaching of the apostles, the creed, yeah. right? 
the breaking of the bread, the sacraments and liturgy, mm-hmm. um, the fellowship, the, 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 the moral life of the church, yeah. right? And then the prayers that, again, modeled mostly off of the Lord's Prayer. Yeah, yeah that's well said. Sean, let me expand a bit on each of those, and then uh, I'll just have you add your thoughts as we go along, okay? So yeah, the Apostles' teaching. So what are we talking about there? Um, you talked about the creed, which we have some very, very early creeds, you know. Um, maybe we could say that, you know, some of the teaching of, of uh, through Scripture, so the, uh, the um, Scripture itself, the New Testament, uh, is, is, you know, one of the parameters was it needed to have apostolic origins, right? So, um, so apostles' teaching through Scripture, the tradition, tall T, or uh, uppercase T, tradition of the church. Mm-hmm. Uh, we might be even able to expand that a little bit to, you know, certain spiritual masters, you know, um, that, you know, influenced by prayer and, and you know, scripture, uh, we're able to give us insights to God too. Um, what else you want to add to that one, Sean? Yeah, so what's interesting is when you look at the verses that come after verse 42, you see a kind of rehashing of those four elements uh, in verse 42, and, they, and they, they correspond and elaborate to, to each of those. So when you get to verse 43... Uh, this is what it says. And fear came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles and all who believed together and had all things in common. And they sold their possessions and goods and distributed them to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking and bread in their homes, they partook of food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. So you, you kind of hear glimpses of those four things, but mm-hmm. elaborated to further detail. Well, what's interesting is when it gets, when it begins with the teaching of the apostles, what would correspond to teaching the apostles, you, you don't really see them preaching. You see them doing wonders and signs. Right. So the teaching in their eyes also included the power that came forth from their ordination, the power that came forth from the activity of the Holy Spirit working through the body of Christ and the church, these were teaching elements as well to them, it seems, not just instruction. Yeah, yeah. And Sean, so the second one, the second one, the fellowship, right? I mentioned that this was a translation of the, the Greek word koinonia, mm-hmm. which we have for our, our retreat program around here. Um, so it could be also translated maybe as as communion and even maybe breaking that down even further um, you had mentioned to me yesterday, it has the word common, you know, uh, something that one would share with mm-hmm. one another, yeah. right? So we can see uh, it's used in different ways throughout the New Testament, but uh, it, sometimes it's used as a fellowship with one another. Sometimes it's as a spiritual communion with God. Um, so we can just see that angle of, of I don't know, intimacy a little bit, yeah. something, you know, being in this together kind of thing. Um, you had a you had an interesting take on that um, as it expands in the verses below too. Why don't you share that with our listeners? Right. So when, as I went through, and I'm not going to read the whole thing again, but right after it talks about the wonders and signs that corresponds to the teaching of the apostles, then what would correspond to fellowship is, is really about social interdependence, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it talks about those um, selling their possessions and distributing them amongst the faithful and holding things in common so that everyone had what they needed. Right. This is the language of this. Right. So it was a communion. It was a it was it was a communion of persons in the sense of the works of service of assisting one another to fully thrive as human beings. So the fellowship um, seems to have also included uh, 
works of mercy and works of service as a normal part of what it meant to be in communion with one another to, in a sense, partake, because koinonia can also mean participation or partaking, yeah. that they partake in one another's lives um, through, again, this, this social interdependence. Yeah, I think that's really beautiful. Yeah. So number three, the breaking of the bread. Um, a few aspects to that. One is is we have to love the symbolism of, you know, having a loaf, let's say, and then well, why would you break it? Well, one, you could say, well, I'm going to save some for later, but more likely um, you're going to give, you know, so the, it's this, it's kind of along the same lines as the previous one. It's, it, it's the sharing uh, with those in need, sharing with those around, uh, something that we're doing together. But also, you know, we know that Jesus broke bread the mm-hmm. night before he was, you know, before his passion there. So we can see a reference to an early liturgy, I think, as well. Um, what do you want to add to that, Sean? Yeah, I think I think what's interesting is again when you go when you go back to those verses following verse forty two, uh, it says that the breaking of the bread happened in the homes, but also that they gathered in the temple area, right? Mm-hmm. So they were they were barring together temple worship and synagogue worship, so they were blending those two things together. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously. The breaking the bread in, in Eucharistic tones is more in line with temple worship, right. but uh, they would they would take um, this this communal dimension of sacrifice and then apply it to you know locally to very intimate structure, right? And you see Saint Paul talk later in his first letter to the Corinthians about how he he learned about this and then pass it on to the Corinthians, right? He's like, as I've received, I've given to you also. And what is, and what is he speaking of? The, the Eucharistic liturgy of the breaking of the bread yeah. right? in chapters 10 and 11. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then number four, uh, said simply as the prayers, right? right? So was it a, I can't remember who, was it Augustine maybe? Lifting our hearts and minds to God, you know, one definition of prayer. Um, I'm, one, I'm curious, Sean, if, if you feel from the context here that they're talking about um, more communal and structured prayers, or do you think it's more just general, you know, prayer life things? Uh, uh, I'm not sure the context quite to let us know, but yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, it, it 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 could go either way. Although I have an inkling that it probably at least has the intention of bringing to mind formalized prayers. We do see spontaneous prayer in the new testament right especially the day of pentecost right but uh again when 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 they talk about gathering in the temple and then also gathering the homes it's very clear that they've taken elements of synagogue worship and brought that into the home and in synagogue worship you had intoned prayers a series of intoned prayers uh that basically would um flank readings from the prophets and from the law, right? Mm-hmm. And so um, you had a, maybe four or five different intoned prayers called eulogies in synagogue worship. And that e- eulogy, like when somebody passes away, <laughs> right. it's from the Greek, which just means a good word. Mm-hmm. You is a, a prefix that means good and um, logos word, mm-hmm. right? So a good mm-hmm. word, a eulogy. Um, that's probably what they were getting at because that's what their audience would have been familiar with that when you get together as a Jewish community, you always have these readings. What are you reading? Um, the, the law and the prophets, well, what were the Christians doing? They were 
they were reflecting on the teachings of the apostles, but those readings always came with intone prayers, and so they probably were borrowing a lot of intone prayers from 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 Judaism, even though it's 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 plausible they also had spontaneous prayer too. Sure, thank you for that. Yeah. So in sum, those four quickly, you know, um, the importance of number one, training our mind, you know, dipping into scripture and spiritual reading. Uh, number two, uniting ourselves with with others in fellowship and and in charitable works, right? Um, number three, availing ourselves with the graces of the sacraments in the Eucharist and beyond. And then number four, just the prayers, that intimate relationship with God, right? So Sean, I have a lot of chat with my students around this time of year. Summertime is coming up. And for many, and I'll speak as, a, as an adult as well, who's not going home to live with mom and dad in the summer, but it can still be a time of spiritual stagnation, you know, especially for students who are used to having access to the chapel, you know, all the time. And if you want to go to noon daily mass, it's there waiting for you. So um, I wonder if we can use this list and give our listeners um, a tip or two for each of the things uh, we discussed above to keep them spiritually fed, especially, especially over the summer. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Can I have your, can I have your four first? Oh, okay. Sure. So the first thing I would say is, you know, when we look at the teaching of the apostles, we can look at it in two different ways. One, we can look at the teaching of the apostles expressed in the, the, the formal doctrines of our faith, mm-hmm. uh, which have their ultimate root in the apostles in their preaching. But another thing that has roots in the apostles in their preaching would be the scriptures themselves. And, you know, when I said that that word uh, in verse 42 for teaching the apostles is didache. And many scripture scholars would say, you know, the gospels are what's called uh, kerygma. Mm-hmm. If you want to say this in the English, the anglicized kerygma, right? Sure. It just means proclamation, right? So it's the foundational proclamation. The letters of the New Testament are categorized as didache. They're, they're teaching. They're, 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 they're doctrinal in nature. So I would say uh, one good thing to do is pick up a letter of the New Testament and do it in a guided way. So there is a series of called the Ignatius Catholic Study Bible, and you can get that condensed down per letter, right? Mm-hmm. So you don't have to get the whole New Testament. You can get, we're, we're talking about the, the book of Acts today. We can get the book of Acts. You can get St. Paul's first letter to the Corinthians. You can, you know, you can, you can get St. Peter's first letter and get the letter of the Hebrews. And it's got, it's got maps in there. It's got commentary. It's mm-hmm. got word studies. So, you know, a real short one would be, say, like Colossians or Philippians, right? Just take some time during the summer and, and work through that in, in a guided way, right? Another thing I would say is if you want to be a little bit more comprehensive about understanding your faith, um, we, we also brought up the catechism. The catechism, the universal catechism is pretty thick and is sometimes overwhelming to some people. Sure. So I tend to recommend the compendium of the catechism. Mm, mm-hmm. It's much shorter and it's written in question and answer format. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very pithy. Um, and because it's the compendium to the actual catechism, it's something that was actually created by the church. It's not just some dude did this, right? Um, and so uh, under the papacy of Pope Benedict XVI, that came out. And I think it's a really great succinct tool and you can pick it up and just read a few you know, sentences at a time and then put it back down and then pick it up again later on. And I think you'll really have an enriching understanding of what the teachings of the apostles are. As far as fellowship, I mean, we we talked about these kind of two dimensions, right? This dimension of recognizing your connection to other believers, 
and and fostering that, but also the the dimension of works of service, right? Mm -hmm. And so I'd say maybe there are corporal works of mercy and there are spiritual works of mercy. Uh, try to, you know, Heath likes lists. In the catechism, there are lists of, <laughs> yes. of each of those. Yes. And, you know, throughout the summer, just like pick a couple, like each week, like try to do one or two of those things and really, really prayerfully enter into why am I doing this and how does, how does this connect me with the early church? And what does, it, what does it mean for me to be a member of the body of Christ and doing this activity of koinonia, of communion, of partaking in the life of another member of the body of Christ, right? Yeah. So along with the breaking of the bread, I mean, go to Mass. <laughs> I don't know, I yeah. don't know what, more, what more to say there. Go, go, go to Mass. Um, also, maybe, maybe um, you know, during the COVID pandemic, I think there was a lot of emphasis on what we call spiritual communion, right? If you can't go to Mass... So I know since working with you, RCI people, people coming into the faith from families that are not Catholic or not even Christian, this might be something difficult to do over the summer, right? So there could be also a recognition, maybe a, a, a spiritual reflection through the summer of your, your spiritual communion with Christ in the Eucharist, your spiritual communion with fellow Catholics who, who are able to go to Mass and receive, right? that um, it's, it's obviously the ideal to go to Mass and receive the Eucharist directly, um, but it's not the only way that God can work in your life. It's not the only way Jesus can be present. If you can't go to Mass, there is something to be said about your connection with those who are receiving the Eucharist directly at Mass, right? And then finally, the prayers. Um, I discovered what we call Liturgy of the Hours when I was in college. Uh, I went through RCA my senior year and uh, here at the University of Illinois at St. John's Catholic Chapel, and there was a, a seminarian assigned here who taught me how to pray Liturgy of the Hours. We got together every Thursday morning and did morning prayer together. Um, and it's something that is beautiful, but it also can be confusing the first time that you do it. Um, and well, so, especially if you have the actual official books and it's like 11 ribbons. Right, right, right. Make sure you're in the, so, in the right spot. Yeah. So for be beginners, I would actually say, so I like... I like feeling paper. Mm -hmm. I like feeling books. And I actually do enjoy the flipping of the ribbons and things like that. Um, if you're interested in what that's about, send me an email. Uh, <laughs> but I, I advise to people just getting into it um, to use an app called iBravery. Mm. iBravery is available both in the Apple Store and the Google Play Store. And it has everything. You don't have to flip. Like It's got everything. You, you click on the day. You click on which hour because there are several hours in the day that have different prayers. So there's morning prayer. There are three daytime prayers, uh, mid-morning, mid-day, mid-afternoon. There's evening prayer, and there's night prayer. And so you can click on any of those, and it has the whole thing charted out for you, and you just scroll down, and you just pray. That's it, nice. It's mm -hmm. a utilization of mostly of the Psalms, but also elements of Scripture, too. So again, it kind of dovetails with the teaching of the apostles. You get a little bit of Scripture as well. Yeah. Um, but... The, the reason I was captivated by this is when I discovered that every priest and every religious sister or brother has to do this several times a day, every day, yeah. either individually or as a community, they're obligated to. So that's why it's called, it's, it's the prayer of the church, right? So when you're doing this individually, or maybe you have a, a group of friends over the summer that you do it together with, you're praying with the church, right? You have concord with that entire church. So it's not only just you praying, 
but it's you praying um, as a member of the body of Christ. So I, I am a strong advocate of at least beginning to get comfortable with liturgy now. Yeah, that's beautifully said too, because um, that's what we do with the mass. You know, you go to sun, you know, you go to a Sunday mass, you're hearing the same readings all over the world. You know, we're all praying, you know, with, with the same gospels, um, though it's in different languages, you're going to have the same prayers, mm-hmm. you know, opening prayer and whatnot. Um, and so the liturgy of the hours just ex- extends that to the rest of the day, rest yeah. of the week. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Thanks, Sean. Okay. So quickly, my, uh, little something for each of mine, um, uh, teaching the apostles. Yeah. Um, the Bible in a year podcast is really popular right now. Oh yeah. Everybody's loving, uh, Father Schmitz. Um, so I just had a student the other day that said, I'm going to try to do that this summer. I'm like, you're going to do the whole 365 in the summer. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, but that would be a good start maybe in the summer to, uh, to check out Father Schmitz's podcast. There's also a couple great resources online. If you, if you want to do the catechism in the year, or if you want to do the Bible and a catechism in a year, you know, um, it's a little more reading of course, but you can, you can find those very, very easily. And then I love what you said about really digging deep into a book, especially with, as you mentioned, some of St. Paul's letters, which can be pretty, um, can be confusing, you know, uh, at, at first glance, um, and are a little less accessible to than the Gospels, but are so rich. And when you can really dig deep, they are so rewarding, I think. Um, yeah. Uh, number two, the fellowship. Yeah, it's, it's easy for students, especially to feel disconnected from their peers over the summer when they're, you know, back in their in their basement or, you know, just living in their childhood home, it's easy to revert to kind of high school, you know, this is how, how it happened four years ago. Um, so, but wow, what strides we've taken since the pandemic of, wow, it's so easy for me now to zoom, you know, it's FaceTime with somebody. And so, um, just having a person or persons in your life that you can meet with regularly, that can encourage you, that can challenge you, you know, um, it's just important to initiate that, I think, Mm -hmm. and, and have, have people like that. Uh, number three, um, yeah, get to mass, as you said, right? <laughs> so we'll add getting a confession to that maybe at least once a month, I'd say. But also we can also really make our time at mass more fruitful if we prepare for that, you know. Mm. So one would be dipping into the readings beforehand. So you're not just hearing them proclaimed for the very first time at mass. Um, and, you know, something I'll say for myself, just get to mass early. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm afraid at times that my, my kids are going to think the mass starts with the Gloria, you know, because we always feel like we're walking in four minutes late, right? So um, so just putting in a little extra time can really, you know, allow you allow the readings to wash over you more and, and, and to get more from the homily and that sort of thing. So, yeah. Um, and then as far as prayer, it's just so key to find a prayer that works for you and you can commit to daily, uh, whether that be Allure to the Hours whether it be, um, you know, Alexio Divina, like every afternoon when you got some time. But just that daily nature of it is really key to to, to growth in, in, yeah, in the spiritual the life. consistency. Yeah, yeah, there's no doubt about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right, Sean. I think that wraps up Acts 2.42. Thanks for chatting about that with me. So, friends, have some news. Um, we are going to be um, wrapping up our podcast, not just for the year, but... Uh, permanently, starting with our, not starting, but ending. <laughs> Next week, we're going to do one more episode. We've been doing this for 
four years? Four years, I think, yeah. Four years. It has just been a lot of fun. Uh, when, when all is said and done, if we do our next episode, we're going to have 91 episodes. So I feel like we've covered almost every corner of, of, of Catholic living. So, um, but yeah, we're just going to, we're going to end on a high note. It has been, it's been great. I'm so grateful uh, to Sean for putting up with my disorganization and for my, you know, theologically questionable uh, comments occasionally that he has to remove from the podcast and spare you all from. (laughs) Um, But it has been really great. We are so thankful for our listeners, especially those who have been with us since the beginning and and, uh, have been faithful in that way. Um, And I'm just also excited about ending this with a very important topic. We're going to uh, make our last one evangelization. I feel like that's a really good one to go out the door with um, since it's so vital to our Christian life. So um, yeah, I just want to thank all of you. So thanks again, friends. One more for you. And um, we'll talk to you next time. Thanks for listening. See you next time. That guy just said antipenultimate. He sounds smart. What would make me sound smart? <laughs> yeah. So well, you guys, know, that... I was thinking about the pre-antipenultimate. <laughs> I'm gonna go through a line sometime. I like my kids' friends. I'm like, okay, you're the you're the last. You're last. All right, you're the penultimate. You're the antipenultimate. You're the pre-antipenultimate. <laughs> I will sound brilliant to those kids. My gosh, that's great. Sean, Sean, I just. (laughs) I'm going to talk to myself. Sean, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Did you know there's someone else in the room? Oh, yeah, I noticed him. I think that's that Heath Morber guy.